you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalist Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Well, it's time for the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It is Friday, December 17th, 2021. Here's the headline. It's a sports headline because kind of related to what we're going to talk about. Breaking news in ESPN. Sources say Nets to bring back Kyrie Irving for road games. Come on, Kyrie, just get the vaccine. Get vaccinated. You can play in all the games. Actually, I really, as a Bulls fan, I'm not no, I'm not sure I really want Kyrie Irving rushing back anytime soon. Because uh, if he's playing at full speed, I don't know, Brooklyn Nets going to be very hard to uh, defeat. All right, enough basketball talk for the moment. We're going to get to much, much more. Uh, in a little bit, uh, as I do with all of my shows, bonus shows, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Distinguished. Uh, never been introduced that way. My name is Michael Horton. Uh, most people throughout the time of my life call me Skeet, so that's Michael Skeet Horton. Um, I'm here today uh, representing Hoop Till It Hurts. Uh, foundation. It's a foundation that was established a couple years ago based on Hoops Till It Hurts, the sports attire that was created back in 1996. So I'm here to represent that and talk about that and a few collaborations that we have uh, going on that's uh, helping us spread the word of students participating in sports. All right. Very good. We have uh, a lot to cover on that front, but let me just say something about Michael Ski Horton. Uh, if anybody knows anything about basketball, youth sports, YMCA's, Cabrini Green, the neighborhood around Cabrini Green, Maneer Elementary School, Sullivan High School, Gary Peckler, Vince Carter, not Vince Carter for Toronto Raptors, different Vince Carter. You know about Michael Skeethorn. The man is a legend. and He's so young for me to call him a legend. He's way younger than I am, uh, but at a very early age. He was playing basketball in the near north side of Chicago, an area where Cabrini Green used to be. Uh, and then from there, after graduating from college, came back. Uh, he's uh, Chicago's own uh, welcome back, Cotter. And he came back and started coaching. And, and Skeet has coached 
I want to do this right, Skeet. About 30 years, I want to say, of kids uh, who've come up the rank. 30 freaking years, Skeet. Exactly. And you look like you're about 18. I don't know how you do it. Um, you deal with the devil. Well, I'm glad I'm not shown on screen because I, I'm big <laughs> to differ. Uh, and he's also, um, he's currently the head uh, basketball coach, uh, boys team uh, at Wells High School. So we may do some prep high school basketball talk. I'm a basketball junkies everybody knows uh so skeet uh first of all thank you for coming on the show and second of all why don't we get the the main business uh out of way i saw this on facebook uh you put it out there that uh hoop till it hurts uh had uh, a new shoe coming out with sketcher so i said skeet please come on the show promote your shoe and then we'll do a, a deep dive in all the sports conversation and news about cabrini green whatever uh, but uh, why don't you tell folks about the deal you've uh, set with uh, Skechers for your new uh, basketball shoot. Take it away. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for having me. That's first and foremost. Um, I appreciate the platform. Well, we started the foundation a couple years ago to provide support for youth sports. And by support, I mean we purchase uniforms for organizations that can't afford them, assist young people with paying uh, fees to participate in sports. Many of the young players now, they want to participate in travel basketball, the AAU basketball, and the cost is becoming a bit much for families. So our job was, our focus was to support them by offering a foundation. And in, in order to do that, we sell merchandise. We sell shirts, shorts, socks, and things of that nature to kind of support the young organizations here in the state of Illinois, but of course, all over the United States. We have a couple collaborations in Florida, as well as uh, Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So we had an opportunity to speak with someone at Skechers, and they enjoyed or they liked what we were trying to do in terms of supporting young people. So they wanted to figure out how they can help. Skechers wants to be a part of the youth sports scene in terms of basketball, they have a lot of different shoes uh, in terms of comfort. They have some things. We actually took a tour. They have shoes that look like video game uh, controllers. They have all types of shoes. We are familiar with the light-up shoes. But they wanted to get into the basketball game, and they thought what we were doing in terms of supporting young people and the social ramifications behind it and supporting people, they thought that this would be a great connection. So they took uh, – we're focusing on graffiti because graffiti basically tells the story of neighborhoods and my story and where I've come from. So Skechers thought that that would be a great piece to kind of add to their shoe. So they came back with a prototype that had the graffiti on it. It had our logo on it. Of course, their logo and the shoe was really nice. So they decided to uh, put the shoe out on the market. And a proceeds of that shoe, of course, will go to our foundation. And it is our hope that this shoe, we're doing it for young kids. We're hoping that this shoe uh, becomes popular and sells. And then, of course, they will do larger sizes. And then, of course, we'll then have an opportunity to discuss where we can make some money outside of what we provide to young teams. All right. Well, so is there a shoe uh, big enough for my feet yet? No, not yet. They made uh, and I and I actually when you spoke about Facebook, I put on Facebook where I was holding a shoe. They made one shoe uh, in a size 12 for me. Uh, but for the most part, the shoes are for youth, probably up to maybe, you know, and feet, the feet vary, but probably up to around 11, 12 years old. 
All right, well, I'll just have to wait, but I will buy it as soon as it's available. Um, all right, Skeet, you made a, a reference to, uh, and I'm quoting you, my story, where I come from. And uh, so why don't you tell folks a little bit about your story, the story of Michael Skeet Horton and where you came from uh, and how you got to where you are now. Take it away. I grew up um, what, what what we call the near north side of Chicago, uh, right outside of Cabrini. I was literally like a block from Cabrini Green Housing Project. My dad actually lived in Cabrini Green Housing Project. So as I was growing up, I mean, that was my neighborhood. That was my community. And if you know Chicago, you know that that area was notorious for gang violence, drug abuse, uh, alcohol abuse, uh, teen pregnancies, uh, high school dropouts, a lot of different negativity, negative things that came from that community. And that's what was promoted. Uh, but obviously, there's a lot of positive things that come from that area. But I come from a family. Uh, we didn't have a lot in terms of uh, monetary things. But, you know, my family is large and we pretty much stayed together. So just being in that neighborhood, I was surrounded by other people of like minds. You know, we obviously we witnessed and probably even, you know, were victimized or participated in some things that wasn't positive growing up. But for the most part, I wanted to do the things the right way. So I found myself being engaged in sports. Wasn't a great athlete, but I understood at an early age that participating in sports could be not only fun, but an opportunity for me to do other things in life, uh, such as be around other positive people, uh, learn from role models and mentors who were probably my coaches. And then that being a part of that will help me figure out what I wanted to do in my life. So just being in that neighborhood, uh, trying to find the positives and, and just moving accordingly. And like I said, I played baseball, I played basketball, and I moved back and forth with my grandmother to my mom. So I had a childhood that was not what people would consider stable. But for me, it was stable because that's what I knew. That's what I was used to. Um, but I didn't fall victim to all of the things that were going on in the neighborhood. And because of that, I was able to maintain some focus, do pretty solid in school, and then figure out my next step, which was, you know, high school. Uh, my family, the high school in the area is Lincoln Park. And at the time, near North was open for a while. And my family members went to those schools and they weren't successful. So I decided I need to figure something out. So as a 13 year old, I figured out that I needed to go to high school away from the neighborhood. And that's how I ended up at Sullivan High School. And again, that brought different challenges, but it also gave me an opportunity to meet different people that provided, you know, some insight on other things that I can be good at. And that kind of helped me determine that I wanted to go away to college and um, kind of forge a career as an educator. All right. Let me just uh, make one correction. Uh, Skeet said he wasn't a very good athlete. He was a good athlete. He, last I saw, he was a pretty good athlete. Uh, I believe, Skeet, if they had accentuated the three-point shot then as they have now, you might have had a chance because analyzing your game, Ski, you're a shooter. Mm -hmm. And it's like if I look at where Steph Curry is right now in the NBA, and this is a tangent from where you want to be, but I'm just going to say this. Like there's a whole generation of kids from the, who came of age in the 80s that that element of the game was not accentuated. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Someone didn't say, look at Ski Horton in the gym and say, oh, my God. Hey, kid, start practicing that shot like 400 times a day. 
because this could be your ticket. So I'm just saying basketball has changed a lot since uh, you were coming of age at Sullivan in the 80s. Do you agree with me? I agree. So I and this will this will tell my age a little bit. My high school senior year was the first year that they implemented the three point shot in high school. And I remember when it was finally because every morning I used to listen to the radio with my grandmother. And I remember the morning that they made the announcement that we were going to have the three point shot. And I went right to high school and I told the coach, I was like, now my shot's going to be worth three. And yeah, I, I really practiced that. And I, and I actually have to give a plug to and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but uh, someone who's older than I am. He passed away this week, uh, Patrick Shane Stewart, and he played in the neighborhood and I watched him growing up, and I remember him telling me as a kid, you know, when the kids are playing around, playing 21 and 32, he said, don't just play this to try to win and be wild. He said, use this to work on your game as well. And, of course, in our neighborhood, you got one ball and you got 25 people trying to play, and I wasn't a high jumper. So it's like if I get the ball and it's out on the perimeter, I need to try to shoot it quick. And that's how I – and I really feel like that's how I – learn to shoot the ball from distance because it was like get it out of your hands before they come stealing and then you just practice that so I I definitely want to give him a plug for that because I think that spearheaded me wanting to shoot from the outside and then and then of course with any little success you want to continue to work at that so yeah that was my game and I still play and now I just you know I can't get to the basket because I'm not fast I'm getting older but I you know they won't leave me open I'll just say that yeah, uh, a last shout out to uh, Patrick Shane Stewart, who's a great player at uh, Lincoln Park High. So, yeah, he passed on this week. Uh, and uh, also, Skeet is not mentioning what a great trash talker he is. One of the great trash talkers of all time. Unbelievable trash talker. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if a shot goes in or out. If it goes out, he'll blame you for a foul that didn't happen. Uh, uh, all right, Skeet, you went to Sullivan High School. If anybody knows anything about geography in the city of Chicago, uh, Cabrini Green is roughly a, a division, and Sullivan High School is way up there on the north side, close to uh, closer to the Evanston border uh, by a Devon. And uh, so that was a hall. Uh, it, you, you may think, oh, well, it's the same city. It's the same north side. Uh, but no, it, it might as well be some ways different worlds. Why don't you talk about that transition uh, from the near north side of Chicago around Cabrini Green uh, to Sullivan High School? Well, yeah, it was it was definitely different for me. I went to Muneer, which was 25 steps from my house. So from the apartment. So by the time I decided to go to Sullivan, we had to take two trains. And then once we got off the train, it was a walk of maybe close to a mile just to get to the school. Um, Yeah. And then of course, you know, on those cold days, the trains are not running as fast. That, That little heating machine is not working as it should, but I was determined once I start something that I was going to finish. So I wasn't going to, you know, people were talking about, I'm going to transfer it back to Lincoln Park and near North because we, uh, there was quite a few of us from the neighborhood that went up to Sullivan those, those years that I was there, but we stuck it out. And it was different for me, not just in terms of the travel, but also just the student population. When I went to Muneer, all the students, you know, they looked like me. They all lived on the same four blocks. Uh, from the school. But when I went to Sullivan, I met people that kind of looked like me, but they were from Belize. Then there were people from different other ethnicities and different other colors and races, like all in the school. And many of them were the the most intelligent kids from their elementary school. 
And, you know, because we I went the year that they started the Paideia program. So I was in this uh, academically influenced based program. So we all were there. So it was it was a shock. You know, I thought coming out of Monero, I was one of the smartest people. But then now I'm being challenged uh, in a classroom with others who have a, a mindset and support and a background of academia, which I didn't have. So it's like, OK, now I need to, you know, prove my worth and, and work at my best. So, again, I, I, I always felt like I had a, a work ethic, but I was challenged by my friends, my peers. And I think that accentuated it as well. And that, like I said, it, it led me to wanting to then think about going to college because that wasn't something that was discussed in my family. All right. Now, college, tough, tough, more, even more culture shock. And uh, I, Skeet has told me the story a few times, but Skeet, one more time from our listeners. Talk about where you went to college. Just the weather alone uh, just has me breaking out here. I, I'm feeling cold all of a sudden in this apartment here in L.A. Talk about where you went to college and, and the transition that was. OK. Um, when I graduated from high school, again, trying to figure out where I was going to go, and I had interest from a couple of schools. Uh, and I'll tell you this, and I'm not even sure if I told you this part. So I was I was receiving mail and calls from Moorhead State University. But there's also a Moorhead State in Kentucky. That's the Division One school. So I wasn't recruited by a Division One school, but I was thinking, OK, Moorhead State in Minnesota sounds like the other one. So I'll go to this one because then people will think that maybe I went to the Division One school. But I never I had never been up to Minnesota at that point. Uh, I took that Greyhound ride and, you know, in a car, it was probably maybe 10 hours. But, you know, you're on that Greyhound, you got to stop everywhere. And, you know, so it took me about 20 hours to get there. Uh, But I landed in Moorhead, Minnesota. Uh, Of course, now no one looks like me other than my roommates and or teammates. Uh, It was I went September 4th. My birthday, September 2nd. I went September 4th two days after my birthday, and it was already cold. Like, it was freezing up there. And I'm like, what is this? So it was super, because we're like right over the bridge from Fargo, North Dakota, which the, the Red River and all of, it was it was just freezing. And so we, I'm in school in September, and then next, you know, we get to like mid-October, it's snow. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, this is ridiculous. But I'm like, I'm from Chicago, I can handle it, but not that early. And then, of course, it lasts. School is out in May. We still had snow in late April, May. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, but it served its purpose. Uh, so and I'll say this. And uh, this is a part of the story that I, I, I always I don't tell all the time, but I think it's very uh, important. And I, and I want to share now because it shows persistence. And I always share this with my students now so they can understand that you just sometimes just have to fight the fight. My son was born my freshman year. And so just from pressures from his mom and my family, I ended up uh, leaving Moorhead State my freshman year and coming back to Chicago. And I thought, OK, this would be a great opportunity for me to get a maybe get a Division One scholarship, try to improve my status or whatever. And then I can also be here with him. Uh, so I ended up going to Joliet Community College because the coach promised that he would get me an apartment out in Joliet and we, you know, I'd play and then see about getting a scholarship to move on to another, uh, to a four-year school, which is probably at a higher level. Well, that didn't work out. We didn't find the apartment. And then I actually started school. And then I was actually living in the YMCA up there in, in Joliet 
uh, as we awaited the apartment. I stayed there for about a month and it was a YMCA where people lived. It was a transient YMCA. So it wasn't like the fun YMCA where I worked. So as a college student, I'm, I'm 18, 19 years old. You can't have visitors. You can't have guests. You have to be in at a certain time. It just wasn't conducive to being a college student. So I ended up leaving the YMCA, but I was like, no, I still want to go to school. So I came back to Chicago. I didn't have a car. So I would take two trains and the pace bus to go back out to Joliet so that I can continue the semester and get my credits because I knew that I was going to transfer uh, back to Minnesota. Uh, And let's say if I had an 11 o'clock class, I still had to leave at seven o'clock because the pace bus runs on a certain schedule and you had to be at your location or you miss it. Then because of that, the bus would depart Joliet, the final bus at 3.30, which means I can't play basketball now because if I did, I would have no way to get home. So I had to make a, a business decision. Uh, I went back home. I, I continued to go to school so I get my credits and I applied to go to uh, back to school in Minnesota. Uh, and because Minnesota was Minnesota State Moorhead now, but Moorhead State was on quarters, which means at the time that I was trying to go back, they weren't in session. So I applied to uh, Concordia College, which was on semesters, and that's why I enrolled. I I ended up finishing playing there, and that's where I graduated. So I, I, I use that story, especially with my young people here at the schools, because I want them to understand, like, They always say, you know, now that I'm older, you don't understand. You don't get it. These are our struggles. And I tell them, like, I've gone through probably more than what you've done. And then I give them that little bit of story because it doesn't give a lot of personal detail, but it shows perseverance and taking care of your business so that you can move to the next phase of life, which is along the line of your success path. So, uh, yeah, that was my story. And I I eventually graduated uh, and. I graduated from Concordia College in Minnesota. And then when I came back home and worked in a few years, I finished my master's at Concordia University out in uh, River Forest. All right. So uh, the, the young man, uh, 21 or 22, whatever you were, you have your college degree, you can go anywhere you want in the whole United States of America, all whole world. And you chose to go right back home to where you grow up and become a, a leader, a teacher, et cetera. And that's why I made the joke about Cotter. You got to be a little older to know the joke. Uh, I don't even know if Skeet. I don't even know if Skeet's old enough to know that joke. There was no, that's my show. Yeah, that was my show. Hello, welcome back, John Travolta. Shout out. Anyway, um, why did you decide to go back uh, to the near north side to the Caprini Green area uh, to become a teacher and a coach? Well, that's that's why I was raised, and and I feel like uh, there was something in me that kind of guided me to doing the right thing. But every kid doesn't have that, right? And they they fall victim to the influences in the neighborhood that are negative. So I decided if I can go back and I can be an example and a role model of how you can make it out of here, then I wanted to do that. I wanted to go and give back all of the support. And then you mentioned Carter, you know, who was my coach, Michael Huff, who was my coach. I wanted to go back and be someone that can show the young people that, hey, you can do this because I did it, but then also like walk them through steps. So, and then of course, like I said, my son was growing up at the time. I wanted to be there 
for him. I wanted him to play sports because I understand what sports can do to young, do for young people. So that's just it, man. I wanted to save my neighborhood or I won't even say save. I won't say that the neighborhood was sinking. I just wanted to be a part of the development of the young people in my community, uh, in particular, my, my younger family members, my own kid. And then, like I said, the kids from my neighborhood. All right. And that neighborhood was the Cabrini Green area on the near north side. Uh, and uh, I urge everybody, if you haven't already, check out the interview I did yesterday. Uh, well, this show is airing Monday. So check out the interview I did last week with Raymond Richard, uh, who, who grew up in Cabrini Green. We talked, tell a story about uh, the demolition of Green, Green, Cabrini Green, the evacu evacuation, if you will, the eviction of the people who live there and the radical change in that neighborhood. It looks entirely different than it did when uh, Michael Skeet Horton was growing up or even when I wandered in and uh, to that area uh, myself in the 1980s. Ski, why don't you talk a little bit about that transition? Uh, you you settled at the New City Y, the legendary New City Y. I consider it the mecca of basketball on the north side of Chicago. And um, so many great players played in that Y. Uh, it was a beautiful thing, the New City Y, and it, 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 it's infinite stupidity. And this is me speaking, not Ski Horton. The YMCA decided to sell that land for development. I have not gone to the development. I will never go to that development that is there. As far as I'm concerned, that development doesn't exist. In my mind, it's like a disfigurement of what the new city Y was. So that's me speaking, not Michael Skeet Horton, but that's me speaking. Uh, Skeet, why don't you talk a little bit about what the area was like in the 90s when you moved back from college and into the O's when you were working at the new city Y? OK, so so the neighborhood. So I moved back to the neighborhood and I actually lived on Cleveland. So I went back to the same block well, one of the blocks that I lived on as a kid. And I started to know the change when, uh, like I said, we grew up on that block and I knew my family didn't have money. But my landlord at the time, you know, she gave me a conversation. She said, you know what you're paying for rent, you know, that's fine and dandy. But I'm going to start I'm going to increase the rent. Uh, so I'm going to give you like six months to move out. And then I started doing a little research and I noticed that the uh, the apartments and the building next to me was selling for like two million. So I was like, OK, now this neighborhood's changed. Right. The gentrification it, it's happening. Right. So it was that the neighborhood was still had a feel for what it was like when I was growing up, though. Uh, and that was in part because of the YMCA. You can go to the YMCA and you can see all demographics, everybody enjoying themselves, everybody playing together, working together. The kids were happy. The kids had a safe haven to go to. It was a great place. But then um, I just feel like, uh, and probably how you feel as well, th with the park district changing their philosophy and they were doing more adult classes and not uh, allowing as much access. And then now the Y was moving to the same thing. So in that neighborhood, we only had a few places that we can go. Uh, and there was only a few places that certain kids can go to because of the gang territory uh, and all of those situations. But the YMCA, it was the Mecca, but it was the safe haven. If you're at the Y, you're good. You're, you're going to no one's going to bother you. You're good. So to take that away, not only did you take away opportunities for kids to develop as people, but you took away a safe place for them to go. So now they're on the street. Um yeah, I thought it was a great place. Uh, at that time, I was I was I was working there, so I was kind of like running the, the sports program. So, not just particularly coaching one small group of kids. I felt like I was connected to all of the kids, and I and I felt like that bridged the gap and maybe had some influence on breaking down some of the gang issues because 
You come to the Y, you play a little ball. Now you're meeting and talking to someone that you probably never would have in other in, in uh, regular situations. Yeah, absolutely. We had an, uh, I was a, a lieutenant to skeet. We had football, uh, touch football uh, at the Y. We had basketball, of course. That was Skeet's thing. Uh, and then for a while, there was baseball uh, at the Y as well. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a, a unique place. And you're right. Uh, hats off when you go. You know, had to take your hat off when you went in. You had to abide by certain rules. Uh, and Skeet ran it. And see, Skeet, I think about the, the Y. When I think about the Park District, your point, and uh, things like uh, whether we allow uh, basketball playing in the parks, outdoor courts, uh, it seems like the city every now and then cracking down, takes down the rims, won't let kids play. I've always believed if you hired someone like a Michael Skeet Horton, who college educated, not even necessarily college educated, but that helps, from the neighborhood, who knows everybody in the neighborhood, and whose job it is to supervise the court and so that people respect the rules and stuff, I do believe you could have. Uh, basketball open courts throughout the city. I do believe you could have open gyms throughout the city. You could have kids playing freaking floor hockey, you know, which is a great game. If kids only learn floor hockey, how much fun that is, Skeet. You, we used to have floor hockey at the New City Y. You had it a few times. Kids love just like volleyball, etc., and so forth. And the city just does not seem to want to put the money where its mouth is. Everybody says they're worried about crime, people killing each other. Okay. Let's get a sports program or an art program or a drama program and hire someone to run it. But they never want to go that final step, Skeet, and hire someone. You know what I mean? When it gets the human capital. That's my take. What's your thoughts? I, no, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Like you need you need the right people in place and then you need to allow them to to run programs. And, and like I said, and it doesn't have to be just sports. Right. There's a lot of things that people can do and we need to expose our young people to it. And then that'll detour them from all the negative stuff. And that's that's kind of like the philosophy of the Hoop to the Hurts Foundation, right? I don't, I'm not trying, and and I'm going to throw this out. So like when you look at the Nike, because we have a shoe now, so I can compare. When you look at the Nike and stuff and they like their promotional people are the advertising, you see the professional athletes and that's motivational, right? I get that. That's motivational. But what we try to promote with the Hoop to the Hurts brand, the Hoop to the Hurts Foundation is, it's not about getting to that level because we're the percentage is so low and we don't want our young people to think that that's if I'm not a professional athlete, then I'm a failure. Right. So with us, this is really about connecting people with people to help them find out what they want to do. So, for example, you you brought over a team when you were volunteering and bringing over a group of kids from the YMCA. Right. You're a writer. Uh that this that's someone that a kid from that community has probably never met, right? So being around you and understanding what you do, it gives them some insight on an option that's available for them. We're not saying that they may go that route, but I know growing up, I never knew anyone that wrote or acted or was a counselor. I didn't know any of that. So it didn't seem real to me. So what I want with Hoop Till It Hurts, and if a kid, like I said, if they can't afford to play in a tournament, we're going to try to support that. If they don't, if their team doesn't, if there's a guy, a great guy like you, and you want to have a team, but you can't afford uniforms, hey, we're, we're trying to support that because we know if those kids are around you and engage, they're going to learn and pick up on something from that coach who is a role model, or they're going to meet someone that's associated with the game, might be somebody from the other team. You might 
go to a tournament and you learn something about, hey, how to run a tournament. And that's business. So that's why we want kids playing the game. And that's why, to your point, we need programs that will keep them involved because they may find a way to stay in the game. But at the same time, they may find out how to do something else where they have a skill set. Absolutely. Well put. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, (laughs) Having me as your coach at the New City Y, you're not going to learn much basketball because I didn't really have much basketball to teach. Most of the kids knew way more about basketball than I did. Uh, But you're right. Maybe they, uh, yeah, you're right. Maybe they never met a a writer before and uh, maybe I could talk to them about uh, going to college and and, uh, keeping a diary, you know, or uh, and I try to steer every kid I met at the New City Y. I think they're all sports addicts. I go, guys, why don't you practice talking into a microphone? That's where the money is. The, you know, I don't know if I had any success, but there were a lot of kids at the New City Y that I met. Ski, unbelievable knowledge, unbelievable knowledge of sports. And I'd be like, you have not. You could go on ESPN with this, the factoids they knew. You know, and. Um, so there's a lot of talent everywhere. All right, Skeet, uh, you've moved on now. You left. Uh, obviously, the YMCA is no longer uh, at uh, uh, right there uh, in uh, the near north side. It's a it's a mall or something. I don't know what it is, but anyway. Uh, by the way, Candyman. I don't. Know if you, did you see the second Candyman? I did not show? see it yet. No, I did not. Okay, well, it takes place where the new city Y was. I kid you not. It's, okay. It was a lot of the second Candyman, not the yeah. first Candyman. I, I bet see you've the seen second. the first Candyman. You didn't see the of first. Of course, candy? I've seen the first one. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so tell folks what you're you're doing now uh, and uh, at Wells High School. Take it away. Um, I I actually uh, my main job here is uh, I'm a school counselor. Uh, I focus on working with the 11th and 12th graders. Um, my point, my purpose is to transition them out. And again, it's to support them with all post-secondary endeavors. And that could be college, military, employment, uh, owning their own business. Uh, some students actually take a gap year and just helping them figure out what their next phase of life will be. Um, I truly enjoy that. I don't feel like, honestly, and I tell the kids, I don't feel like I'm coming to work. And this is, you know, we want to encourage them to find something that they enjoy like this. But I enjoy uh, having an opportunity to work with students. Uh, with their academic, social, emotional uh, circumstances. Uh, and, it, and it also reminds me of what I do in terms of my foundation. I have an opportunity to actually support kids. And that was growing up, I tried to figure out what is it I wanted to do. And I thought about, I want to be a juvenile probation officer. But then I later thought, well, why wait until they get into the system when I can be in front load, like get them when they're in school and try to support them and figuring out uh where they want to go. So as a high school counselor, I have the best of both worlds. I have access to young people. I have access to young people where I can support them academically, and then I can support them and their families with other issues that they may have or uh, circumstances that may arise. Uh, In addition to that, I am the uh, boys basketball coach, varsity basketball coach. That gives me an opportunity to work with uh, a smaller group of people from the school uh, with a little bit more focus. The school, I've been coaching here for maybe eight years, seven, eight years now. Uh, we don't have the greatest teams. We don't have, I don't even have people on my team that play travel basketball, but we find our success in a number of ways. Everybody that's been a part of my program for four years, they've graduated. Uh, they they show up to school, which is, you know, a rarity to a lot of kids at this 
this day and age. Um, and they have fun, right? We we win games. We win our share of games. We go out and we compete. And they're learning life skills that, like I said, hopefully they can take on to uh, add to the, the rest of their lives and become successful. All right. So uh, we're going to close with just a little basketball analysis uh, and try to be as objective as you can. I, I understand you, uh, you you have a horse in this race, uh, Wells High School, uh, but you, you're really good on the mic, man. I think I'm going to bring you back on a regular basis to talk uh, high school basketball if you're up for it, uh, because that's one element of my show that I don't have. We don't have a high school basketball site. We have Bulls basketball like crazy. I don't really need anybody else to talk about the Bulls, my beloved Bulls. Um, so why don't you give us analysis, like in your humble opinion, and again, I, he's being as objective as he can of fellow coaches in Chicago, so give him a break. Uh, who are the like the teams that everybody should know about uh, that are the teams to watch coming out of Chicago, public, uh, high, or you could be uh, Catholic as well, high school basketball in Chicago, go ahead. I'm actually, I'm a big fan of basketball, but unfortunately because I coach a team, and I, and I didn't do travel ball the last couple of years, so I'm not out there and see as much as I normally can. But I will say this because I read a lot and I and I know uh, of some individual players. I do know that Kim Wood has a pretty solid group. Um, so they're looking – they're projected to be one of the top teams when it comes down to the end. Simeon is always good. I like the point guard, Jalen Griffin. We actually did uniforms for his travel team. The kid works hard. The kid plays hard. Uh so I'm always going to look and see what they're doing. And I think they're one of the better teams. Whitney Young is always good because Wells is 2A. And I will say this, uh, one of the toughest obstacles to pass to get to the next level. We always run into or so or is always pretty good. They've had some success over the years. Um, and I'm always always say, why can't we get some of those players? We're not too far from there. And our kids pass there all the time. But um 2A, I would say, or I actually went to see DePaul College Prep uh, over Thanksgiving holiday break, and they have a really solid team, very fundamental. They they combine size with uh, good shooters, uh, great defensive concepts. So, yeah, it's those are some of the ones that I've seen and, and heard a lot about. So it will be competitive, but as we know with sports, you still have to step on the court and play. So it can come down to anybody. Uh, and uh, so is there any chance that Wells could have its moment this year? So I, I originally thought, and, and I say this to my kids, right? So when I talk about Wells, we're not a major program, but every year we do something that's big for us, right? Two years ago, we won a regional. Year before that, I had a kid who was all state. So it's always something. So I don't know what it is this year. Now, I have a young group, no seniors. And I, and I said to them, this could be a two-year plan. But we won our first three conference games. So we're in first place in our conference. So if they can take that, uh, stay humble, continue to work hard, who knows, maybe we can win our conference and move up to the uh, red division. And then that that gives you access to better players because everybody wants to play in a top division and notoriety, which, you know, again, may motivate them to, to do well. So we will see. Uh, the, there is a tradition at Wells. Way, there was a player in Wells in the 80s named Curtis Gates who was truly one of the uh, fine basketball players in the city of Chicago because he played in the north side. Skeet, he didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, there was always some great players on the north side. And 
I remember Charlie Brown and, uh, at Roosevelt in the 80s. I mean, this is your generation of players. So some great players on the north side. Uh, and you're absolutely right. That It's like, get to that next level. When I was listening to you, Skeet, I've heard so, I was hearing so many coaches I've heard down through the years. I just want to get to that next level. When I'm at that next level, you watch. Then you got to stay in that next level because if you, you lose too many games and then I've seen that happen to the team, the seniors leave and all. Oh. <laughs> that's exactly. They move up, then the seniors, and then they go back down. So that's what, like I said, with us being young, that might help us out a lot. All right. Uh, uh, Michael Skeet Horton, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate it. And uh, I urge everybody, uh, help them out. Help they, The foundation does great work. And I give a shout out to Vince Carter, my old friend, Vince Carter, former coach. Uh, and um, he created the Demons. That's a whole other. Maybe I should bring Vince on the show sometime. That's a whole other story. Von Steuben, uh, legendary basketball coach at Von Steuben in the 90s in the O's, uh, who's uh, Skeet's partner of crime uh, in all his endeavors with his uh, Demons Club and Hoop Till It Hurts. So, Skeet, best of luck to you, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. And, and as you stated, whenever you're ready for me to come, I'll definitely come because I I respect what you've done with the kids and just showing a lot of support and even support for me over the years with things that I've done. So anytime you call, I'm here. Very good. I appreciate that, Skeet. That's Michael Skeet Horton. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.